Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor@indy.rr.com. Three things I want you to walk out of here today remembering. So if you've got your Bibles, Start with me on verse 26, and let me just read you the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and so stop right there. Listen to me. When an angel talks to you, you will listen. You don't ignore angels. When an angel of the Lord appears to you and says something, you're going to hear what he says. Now, you may not obey what he says, but you're going to hear what he says. You, you know, we, we might ignore our parents. We might ignore our boss. We might even ignore our spouse. But we're not going to ignore an angel of the Lord. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Philip and said to him, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, let me just talk to you about this story here for a moment. And I, I, I don't believe it's just a story as in a myth story. I believe it's historical. I believe this really took place. So this man, Philip, now he's not one of the 12. He's not one of the disciples. He's not that Philip. He's a different Philip. This man, Philip, an angel of the Lord came to him and said, you need to go uh, south from Jerusalem towards Gaza. And on the way, he runs into an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, there's some things about this story that we've got to understand. This, this man, that was, okay, he was an Ethiopian, probably certainly a, a black man. He was a eunuch. Now, I'm looking around this morning, and our kids are all in the back. I had to talk a little bit higher this morning when I preached first service because we had a bunch of kids in here. He was a eunuch. You, I, I assume you know what that means, but let me just I'll keep it up here a little bit because I don't know who's online. Uh, he was not able to have children. He had been made that way. Probably, historically, just knowing the situation, probably some method of surgery or crushing. There was a physical thing that went with this, and it was very common if you worked in the queen's uh, court. It was just the way things were done. And I'm not saying good, bad, or right, or wrong. It's just the way it was. He was a man who was not capable of having children. He was a eunuch. But he was also a court official, so he was an important guy. This guy was an important man. He was a court official. Not only that, he was a court official to the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, Candace was not her first name. Candace meant queen. It was a title. So, you know, we've got the Caesars. All the Caesars, were that was a, a, a Roman name for king, Caesar, or Egypt. Pharaoh was a Roman, or a, a, an Egyptian name for king. Well, Candace was the, was the Ethiopian name for queen. She was the queen. And this man was a man of great power and prestige because he oversaw her, the way it reads, he oversaw quite likely her personal treasure. That's a man that's trusted. Will you guys give your checkbook to just anybody? Absolutely not. You, you, you pass out your social security number to just anybody? Nope. How about your bank account number? 
even less people, right? This man had a lot of power, a lot of authority, and a lot of trust. He was an important man, this eunuch. And we read in this story, he had come to Jerusalem to do what? Y'all see it? He had come to Jerusalem to worship, to worship God in the temple. Now, I don't know how good your world geography is. Mine's not the greatest. I looked it up. I, I could have pulled up a, a map, and I didn't this morning, but just work with me here for a moment. Ethiopia, if you don't know, is in the northern part of Africa. It is on the east coast of Africa, so you've got Egypt. Most everybody knows where Egypt is. Right below Egypt is the nation of Sudan, and Ethiopia is south and east of Sudan. So it's a, it's a, it's a long ways south of Egypt. And this man had left the capital in Ethiopia, and he had traveled probably up the entire length of the Red Sea and crossed over in Egypt into the Middle East and, and gone on into Jerusalem. Why? To worship God. Now listen, he didn't jump on a plane. He didn't jump in a car. He didn't get on a bicycle. He probably got on a donkey or a camel, and it was probably not a matter of, of days or weeks. It was probably month-long journey that he took, hot dusty, and probably somewhat dangerous. Now, maybe this isn't the truth that I want to share with you this morning, but maybe there's something in there to be said. This man was a man that had a heart and a desire to come into the presence of God and to worship God. And maybe we need to step back and just ask ourselves a little bit, maybe I shouldn't have such a problem getting into my air-conditioned, heated car and traveling 20 whole minutes to get to the house of God on a regular basis. Right? That's not the truth, but that's just an extra. Right? And maybe we ought to look at our heart, because this man had a desire for the presence of God. Now, we don't know what drove him to that. We don't know what inspired that in him. We don't know what caused it. But I do know this, just knowing his condition and knowing history and knowing some context, when he got to Jerusalem and he got into the, or got to the temple, do you know what he ran into? He ran into rules, and he ran into the Old Testament law, and he ran into a group of priests that would look at him and say, you are an Ethiopian eunuch, and, and possibly you can't even come into the temple. But if we do let you in the temple, the furthest into the temple you're going to get is to that outer court, the court of the Gentiles. But you're not going to get into that inner court, and you're certainly not going to get into the innermost place where the presence of God is. Now, I ask you this morning, what would you do if you showed up at Souls Harbor uh, for the first time wanting to worship God and wanting to hear about God, and you pulled in and you parked in the front parking lot, and when you got to the front door, somebody met you at the front door and said to you, you can't come in because you're just too broken. What would you do? I mean, I know what I would do. I'd get back in my car and I'd leave. And I'd probably leave mad and angry, and hurt, and rightfully so, right? But this man, we, we, we see that when he left the temple, knowing that he didn't get into the holy place, he didn't leave those ways. He went and got in his chariot, and it, and it probably wasn't a war chariot with horses and a place for spears and one or two soldiers. It was more like a carriage because there was a driver and there was the eunuch, and we're going to see in a little bit, Philip got into it with him, and, and he left, and you know what he did? He got the Word of God, and he opened it, and he began to read out of Isaiah. And we read on in this story, 
He was reading in Isaiah, verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, remember he heard from an angel, now the Spirit's telling him, Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? Now, I'm going to tell you this morning, there's a church on every corner in this country, isn't there? Listen, folks, we could leave this building right now and drive five minutes any direction and run into half a dozen churches or more. There's a church on every corner. How many many Christian channels are on the television? Hundred? A lie. A lie. There's the potential, at least, for a Bible app on every single phone or iPad in this world. They make them for droids. And yet we've got people today just like this Ethiopian eunuch, who have, and unless somebody, you or me, will come alongside them and explain to them the good news, the gospel, that Jesus died for their sins and they can be restored to God, I don't care how many churches are on the corners, including this one, unless somebody can go to them, will go to them, obey the Holy Spirit and go to them and say, let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the good news. Like the eunuch, they, they're, going to, they're going to walk away not knowing God. He said to him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and, and up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And I'm going to jump down to verse 34. It's Isaiah 53, great, great messianic passage. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this, this Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were being, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. This man, understand this story, this man had gone to the temple wanting to worship God and had been turned away, not able to get into the presence of God, and he's heading home and he doesn't let bitterness slip in, and he doesn't let anger slip in. He gets the word of God out and he begins to read Isaiah 53, and here's what happened. God brings this man, Philip, because Philip is listening for the voice of the angel and the voice of the Holy Spirit. He brings Philip along to sit down with him and explain the story of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ to him, and in that process, he comes to know Christ as the Savior. So this man that had traveled for months to get to the temple just to be turned away, now all of a sudden, because he hears the gospel, he finds out that not only can I go into the outer court, I can go into the inner court, and the curtain that used to be separating us from that Holy of Holies where the presence of God was has been torn. I'm sure Philip explained this to him. And now I can go into the Holy of Holies, into the most holy place. Now I have got the ability, the opportunity, the possibility to come into the presence of the living God himself. Now listen, you all may not get super excited about that for this eunuch, but you know they called that court, that outer court where he had to stay. You know what they called that? It was called the court of the Gentiles. Do you know why it was called the court of the Gentiles? Because those who were not of a Jewish heritage, those who were Gentiles, which happens to be, as far as I know, everybody sitting in this room this morning, that was the furthest towards the presence of God they could go. 
And this eunuch, when he finds out that I can come into the presence of the living God and I can worship him and I can be touched by him and I can experience his presence and I can spend eternity with him, he got so excited, he told, he told his driver, he said, stop. I don't know how much water was there. There's always this big debate. Was it a lot or a little? All I know is he said, stop. I want to be baptized because I was dead and now I'm alive. Now listen to me, Gentile. Please, please, let's not ever take for granted what we have here. To be able to come into the presence of God and lift our hands and lift our hearts and worship Him and experience, experience the touch of the Holy Spirit. We ought to be as excited as this man saying, God, I want more. If you've not been baptized, God, I want to be baptized. Because you've done for me what other generations didn't have the opportunity to experience. Now, here's the truth. Here's, here's, here's the truth I want you to get this morning out of this piece of the story. There is never a place in your life, a time or a situation where you're so dead or so damaged that you cannot come into the presence of God. That's the truth. If you're watching online, that's the truth you need to hear this morning. That's the big picture of this story. There is Listen, we all, we all come into life... It, you know, it looks great in front of us, and then we all very quickly find ourselves with history. Y'all got history? How about baggage? How about hurts? Anybody here ever make a mistake? Anybody here ever make a mistake that actually costs you for a very long time? Anybody here ever have any mistakes in your life, any history in your life, any baggage in your life that you feel like you're still carrying along, along and there's that place in you that says, I can never really be that for God because of. What I want you to get this morning above all else out of this story is you are never too damaged and you're never too dead. I mean, this man for all practical purposes in their culture was considered dead because he was incapable, physically incapable of having children. He was dead. There is never a point in your life where you're too dead or you're too damaged for the touch of God to come upon you and you be forgiven of your sins and be able to enter into that place of the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is. I don't think y'all are getting it. Y'all just looking at me this morning. You know, I believe this to be true. We have to be really, 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 and I know you're all like me. I, I, Pastor Duke, I don't know how I was sitting out there when you used to preach all the time, but looking back, I was probably the guy that never smiled, never nodded, completely expressionless, probably shouting on the inside many times, but you never know it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Y'all are just like me, maybe. But I'm going to tell you, if there's not something that stirs up within you when you realize you go from being dead, hell-bound, lost, no hope, no promise, to being saved, born again, forgiven, can stand in the presence of God and have heaven for your eternity, if that doesn't do something inside of you, something's broke inside of you. And I, I have this fear, and I struggle with it even to myself. I, I, all my life I have. When you're raised in church and you hear these stories and you know this reality from the time you're little and, and, and you never have... You, you, you never walk into it at a later place in life. It's easy just to assume, yeah, just is what it is. I'm going to tell you, folks, it's not just is what it is. The Son of God hung on a cross to die for your sins so you could come into the holiest place that's ever been in existence. That's a big deal. And you're never too damaged and you're never too dead to come into the presence of God. Now, there's a second truth in this I, 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 I want to show you this morning. And we've got to go back a little ways, and it's, it's, the, 
it's the backstory. It's the, almost a Paul Harvey moment here, sort of kind of the rest of the story. But I, I want to go back up a few chapters, and, and I want to see. I want you to see this. I, there's two more truths I want to give you this morning, and, and it's how did Philip come to be the guy on the road? Let's go back to chapter six. If you've got your Bibles there, we're going to go to verse one. Now the church was growing. It was going and it was doing well, go, going great. People were being added to the kingdom of God. They were being saved by the thousands, literally. And they had problems. Anybody here ever been a part of a church that has problems? Put your hands up. Don't be, you know, come on. Right? And, and listen to me. L listen to me. We've got a great church. I love you guys. We've got a great church. But if you think this church doesn't have problems, somebody said first service, then you probably are the problem. Well, I wasn't actually going there, but that was such a good line, I wanted to share it. You probably haven't been here long enough. Every church has problems. And, and it doesn't have to be bad things or big things. It's just, it's just life happens. The turkey gets burned. The stuffing doesn't get turned on and it stays cold. You, you know, Grandpa gets a flat tire and he's four hours late because he gets lost coming to Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, just life happens, right? There's always something. Everything, everybody, the church had problems. And the problems that we run into, Acts chapter 5 and going into 6, is this. So many people were coming to know the Lord that the widows that spoke Greek, which is a small group, they weren't being cared for. Now, today, that's not a big deal to us because, you know, we fall back on our social net of social security and we've got Medicaid and we've got a, a lot of programs that can help in a, a variety of ways. They didn't have any of that. The church was that in those days. And we pick up in verse one and see the problem, the trouble, the, the, the difficulty. Verse one says, now, in those days when dis the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. They weren't getting enough food to, to be healthy and to survive. And the 12, the, the 12 disciples summoned the full number of the disciples, probably the 120 and maybe even a lot more than that, and said to them, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was the first, and they chose Philip. This is our man, Philip. Philip was the second man chosen. They chose Philip, and then Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenes, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Until eight years ago, most of my time as a pastor was bivocational. And, and by that, I mean that I worked a 40 or 50 hour a week job and I pastored. And I can remember thinking back those years ago, thinking to myself, how awesome would it be able to be to not have to work a second job, a job outside of ministry, and just put all of my time and energy into being a pastor in ministry. I thought that, that, would, be, that would be like heaven. And it has a really great upside. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I, I'm grateful for the opportunity, but I've learned something in this last eight years. That where I used to put 40 hours or 50 hours a week in going to another job and sitting at a computer or a desk and designing buildings and HVAC systems and, 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 and 
educational wings and all kinds of stuff that I was involved with up there. Now I find myself coming to the church and I find myself just as busy doing a lot of other things besides preaching the word of God and prayer. Because now it's off the top of my head, it's such things as figure, you know, mowing grass has to, 10, 10 acres has to be mowed, right? 10 acres has to be mowed. The church has to be clean. Somebody has to pay the bill. We've got a house over here that has needs. We'll just call it that, needs. It has needs. It's needy. Uh, filters and air conditioners have to be changed. Furnaces have to be changed. You could spend, I could spend 40 or 50 hours a week just taking care of that stuff. And I've learned something. We, we went two years ago, we went to preaching twice a week here at the church. We went to two services on Sunday morning when COVID happened. And I thought at the time, I thought, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be harder. It'll, it'll, it'll take a little more out of me to preach. Because I, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but preaching's hard work. Getting ready to preach is hard work. Preaching's hard work. I, I've done a lot of work in my life. I've poured concrete for a summer. I've, I've, when I was young, actually, when I was young, I've climbed roofs and roofed for, for, for a year. I've done some pretty hard physical labor. And I'm telling you, preaching the gospel under the anointing of the Holy Spirit is as hard as anything I've ever done. And I thought, yeah, two services, How, that won't be bad. I'll be a little tired. I'm going to tell you something. Preaching two services isn't twice as hard as preaching one service. It's ten times as hard as preaching one service. You know what else I know? You know what's harder than preaching one service? Or you know what's harder than preaching two services? What's harder than preaching two services is preaching two services under the anointing of the Spirit of God. Now listen to me, I preached long enough, I, I, I could go, if I, if I chose to do it, I could go to my files, I could pull them up on my computer, I've got paper files from way back when, when I was pre-computer days. I, I've got enough sermons that I've preached in the last 20 or 30 years, I could preach a sermon every week from now till I retire or I die and never have to double up on any material, it would not be a problem. I've got that much material back there, and they would probably be good sermons. Some of them. Some of them, maybe not, some of them would. But you know what they wouldn't be? They would not be a word that I could stand up here and say to you, today I want to give you a word from God for this moment. Because that takes time, energy, effort, work. Right? So here's the truth, and there's, there, there, there's two things I want to bring across here. The first one is this. How many of you want your life to make a difference? I, I think everybody somewhere along the way in their life hits that point where they decide, I want my life to matter. Some people seem to find that at 20, some at 30, some at 40, some at 50. Some sadly don't get to that point till they're laying on their deathbed, and that's, that's always unfortunate. But I want my life to matter. Let me tell you a key to making your life matter. It's not waiting for that opportunity where you can be in front of the camera or be in front of people or, or, or have some great talent. It's what Philip did. If you want your life to matter, it's doing what Philip did, which is finding a need, seeing a need, and saying, you know what, God, I'm available. If you need me to wait on tables, God, I'm available. I will do that. If you need me to oversee the, the distribution of the food to the widows and the Greek widows at that, God, then I choose. I'm fine with that. I'm going to make myself available because I want my life to count. I want my life to matter. That's the truth I want you to get this morning. If you want your life to matter, then you have to make the choice, make the decision 
to put yourself in a place to say yes to God, yes, Lord, I will do, I will make myself available and do that which needs to be done even when it's not glamorous. Does that make sense? Now, the second thing I want to say to you this morning is this. It's thank you. Thank you for all you men that get on the mowers and mow this property. Thank you for all of you that helped me to take care of this house over here and its needs. Thank you, Pastor Ruthie takes care of making sure our bills are paid every week. Thank you, Cheryl. She, she leads this worship team, and I don't have to get up here and try to come up with something. to. Can I just say to you guys, thank you. Because so much of what you do, thank you for working in the nursery. Thank you for going back in a few weeks and setting up tables. Thank you for coming in on a Saturday and putting up Christmas decorations. Thank you for coming and, and, and blowing and raking leaves and cleaning gutters. Thank you for that because when you do that, you're putting yourself in a place where your life, whether you feel it or you don't, I want you to get this. This is the truth. When you do those things that need to be done, you're putting yourself in a place to see your life make a difference. Now listen, you say, Pastor Barry, well, that's great. You must really like sitting in your office and your air conditioning, and all you've got to do is get ready to preach on Sunday. Well, I'll just tell you a couple things about that, if I may. Can I, can I tell you a couple things? Jelly, can I tell you a couple things about that? I knew you'd say yes, so I ask you. First one is this. If you, if you think putting together a, a message from the Lord every week is easy, you've never put a, together a message. <laughs> you've never done that. But I will tell you this also, um, before I ever preached... Before I ever was called to be a pastor, I, I, I told First Service, do you know the numbers of hours that I spent on the lawnmower? N not the big, fancy, um, you know, zero-turn radius mowers we got now, which I'm happy for you guys. I'm not being bitter. I'm really not bitter much. I, I'm talking a little lawn tractor mowing up and down this back piece of property when I was a youth pastor. You know, you know, how, many, you know how many times? You, you know why that ground out there is so smooth now? It's because I ran up and down on my backside on that little lawnmower for week after week after week and, and out there praying, God, you've got to give me a message to preach, but this grass has got to be mowed and I'm the guy that's going to do it because I'm available. Right? What I'm saying is, long before God gave me the opportunity to be your pastor, he had me running up and down the grass on a lawnmower, climbing under our home church, on my belly in raw sewage because somebody had to get under there and fix the plumbing. Been there, done that, did that. Yuck. But necessary. The truth is this. You want your life to matter, make yourself available to do what needs to be done. Thank you for all of you that do things. Thank you to our directors, our directors for their work and efforts. Thank you, Gary, for changing lights out here in the parking lot that I don't have to do it. Thank you, Jimmy, for fixing gutters last Sunday. And thank you, Joe, for telling Jimmy and not telling me. Joe's not here, but he told Jimmy and didn't tell me. And then Jimmy texted me, so then I knew, but, uh, but it was already taken care of by then. So thank you. Right? That's the truth. You guys give me two more minutes to give you one last, one third, one third truth. I'll give it to you really quickly, but it's also really important. We read that Stephen was first, and we read that Philip was the second in that list of people that said, I'm available, and I'll wait on tables. And their lives made a difference in their matter, and they mattered. But then we go down into verse 8, and we read, and you guys know this story. I'm not going to read the whole thing by any means, but in fact, I'm just going to relate it. You know the story of Stephen. Stephen began, he couldn't stand himself. He began to preach the gospel. He began to tell people about the good news of Jesus. 
and he was so forceful with it and so good with what he was proclaiming. People were coming, even the priests in the temple were coming to know Christ as their Savior, and it upset those that were in authority and those that were in leadership. As we read through chapter 7, we see that he began to proclaim so much that they brought him before the council, and they, they brought in false witnesses to accuse him of things, and he stood up and pro- preached a message that ended like this. Verse 51, Uh, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. He told them, y'all, just like your dads. That's exactly what he said. Made them so mad. So So do you just like your dads did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Said, you're all just like your dads, and you killed the Messiah. Made them so mad, they grit their teeth, they gnashed their teeth, and they took him out, and they, they, they threw him in a pile, and they picked up stones, and they executed him right there in front of everybody. A bloody mass right there on the ground, beat, hit, him, hit him with stones till he was dead. And this is the last, the last truth I want to give you. Philip undoubtedly was standing there and saw Stephen martyred, saw Stephen executed. Now, if I was Philip, I don't know what I would do. I know what I like to think I would have done, but I don't know what I would have done. But Philip looked at Stephen, who was, who was executed, and he made a choice. There's this scene in the movie, um, and I just lost it. Mel Gibson. What is the name of that movie? Patriot, thank you. I don't know who said that. Somebody must have been here first service. The Patriot. I had it first service. There's this scene in The Patriot, which is about America's independence, and if you're not into bloody war movies, I'm not encouraging you to go watch it, but there's a scene where they're pushing forward. It's, it's the American lines uh, pushing against the British lines, and there's this scene where the flag bearer, the, the, the one who's carrying the American flag, he's beginning to push forward, and the lines are coming against each other, and people start to die and drop here and die and drop there, and, and he gets scared. And he turns and he takes the flag and he turns and he begins to retreat. And as he retreats and runs the other direction, people all around him see that and they begin to fall back and they begin to retreat as well. And the standard is being carried away and we're losing the battle of going to lose the war. And and Mel Gibson, who plays the leading role in that, he's back in the lines a little ways and he sees that flag, he sees that standard begin to be carried the wrong way in the retreat and he runs up and as he runs up, he grabs the standard, he grabs the, 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 the flag from the man who's retreating and he turns around and he, he pushes forward himself and says, no retreat, we will not retreat. We need to push forward, push the line forward, push forward. And they, each person one by one begins to turn and begins to press on forward and the battle goes forward. And of course, you all know who wins, right? Now, here's the thing. Philip looked at Stephen laying on the ground, dead, executed. And he had a choice. He could flee and run and say, this is too hard. Y'all with me? Or he could step down there, and he didn't pick up a flag. We don't follow or worship the American flag. He stepped down there and picked up the cross. And when Stephen fell, Philip picked up the cross and said, I'm going to carry the standard forward. Now, I talked about your life mattering in this life, for the, for, for, in, in this world, making a difference. You know how you make your life matter in the kingdom? You be the one that says, I'm going to pick up the cross, and I'm going to carry it forward. I'm 55 years old. By the grace of God, I've got another several decades in me. Don't expect to be your pastor for all of those decades. I 
plan to retire one day and go do something else. I figure about a week sitting on my couch, I'll be tired of that and I'll have to go, go do something, right? But here's the question, who's going to pick up the standard? Will you? Something happens to Cheryl next week, and by the grace of God, that doesn't happen, Cheryl. Who's going to pick up this standard? Those that mow the grass and those that take care of the house and those that pay the bills, if something happens to them, because listen, we all get out of this life the same way, right? Who's going to pick up the standard? Philip said, I'll pick up the standard. He had served and his life had mattered. He picked up the standard and he made a difference in the kingdom and God ended up bringing him to that road with the eunuch Ethiopian and probably changed the nation. Will you pick up the standard? I have a concern and I, I, I'm probably running a little bit long. You guys give me some grace this morning. Everybody that mows grass is retired. Now, that tells me two things. One is thank God, and I mean that sincerely, for retired men and women who want to do something and help. But it also tells me one of these days they're not going to be there any longer. Who's going to mow the grass? I cl when I was 35, back when I was young, I climbed around in these rafters. Most of these lights, probably all these lights in this sanctuary, I wired. Climbed around up there in my blue jeans and my t-shirts and dirty and sweat. I got blood up there because I was really clumsy. Cut fingers. If they ever quit working, I'll never blame anybody else. I can't blame anybody because I'm the one that wired them when I was 35. I've been up there twice since I came back down here as your pastor. I'm 55 now. And I'm going to tell you, when I was 35, it didn't bother me. It didn't phase me. I wasn't sore. I didn't think twice about it. The truth is, when I was 35, I was too dumb to think about what happens if you miss a truss and fall through. Now I'm 55, and I think about it all the time. Like, the, you know, the fall doesn't bother me, but the, the sharp landing is not good. Who's going to pick up that standard? because we've got a bunch of wire we've got to run. Now listen, here, here's, here's the reality right now. Um, probably the person that's going to pick up the standard and do that, because he's already told me he will, is Gary Grindine, who's well past 55, but he'll be, the one that, if, he'll be the one up there climbing around. Probably do better at it than I do, but who's, you understand what I'm saying this morning? I looked a few Saturdays ago, we came and raked leaves and blew leaves and all of that stuff. And I was looking around at the group that came and our group was pretty small this year. And I was looking at the group and you know what? I'm 55, I was the youngest person there. Now on the one hand, it felt kind of good. On the other hand, I'm thinking, you know, I'm kind of getting to that place, Cheryl, where I kind of like to get that senior's discount. I start, I'm gonna start asking, can I get it, right? Say, Pastor Barry, you're pouring it on a little thick. No, I'm really not. I'm really not trying to. That's not, my, that's not my goal. It's not a matter of making you feel guilty, but it is a matter of saying, just make you aware somebody's got to pick up the cross. And it doesn't always mean stand here and preach the gospel. Sometimes it is those more day-to-day, life-to-life things. You say, Pastor Barry, I'm busy. I know. I get it. I had kids. I still got kids. Now I got grandkids. I thought when my kids got grown, I thought life would get easy and I'd have less to do. But now I got more sports to go to because my grandkids all play. I get it. Who will pick up the cross? Why don't you stand this morning? Will you guys allow me to just pray over you?
Three truths I want you to know, and I, 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 hope you, I hope you get them this morning. The first one is this. You're never too dead or too damaged for God to touch you and bring you in his presence. And if you're standing in this room or you're on this feed this morning and you've struggled with that, I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray God will draw you close, that you'll repent of your sins if there's sin in your life. But most of all, that he'll just let you feel his presence and know how much he loves you. Second one is if you want your life to make a difference, be available. Just be available. And the third one is if you want to make your life to make a difference in eternity, this is the hard one. Pick up the cross. Carry the standard. Father, I pray right now over this congregation, over this church, over this family, and I love, I care about each and every one that's standing here. Those on our feet. And God, this is my prayer. My prayer is bless them. May your blessings be upon their lives and their families and, and, and upon their days and give them joy and goodness in, their, in all that they do, Lord. My prayer is also this this morning. God, will you work inside of every one of us that we will live lives that we make a difference. That when we look back, we can see what I've done with my life matters. Give us the courage to pick up the cross and carry on for those that have gone before us. God, work in our lives. Give us a vision and a direction. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Love you guys. God bless. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.